screen. And I want you to see if you can tell me who they are, okay? Does anybody know who this is? Anyone recognize these people? Okay, maybe, um, maybe you might know them better as this. You see, that's how maybe a lot of people in Europe would see Jesus. If I say the name Jesus, that's who they see. But the truth is, if you go to Africa or the Caribbean or China, this is what Jesus looks like to them in their artwork, in their literature, in their tapestries. Jesus grew up as a Jew. So perhaps if we're trying to figure out who Je- what Jesus looks like, maybe these guys could be our role models. What do you think? Jesus rocking the turtleneck. Maybe not. That's really where I want to get to tonight as we talk for just maybe five, ten minutes. Who is Jesus really? And it's a question that people were asking even Jesus. Let's read from John uh, 12. It's it's just before the crucifixion. There's been this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Remember when he was on the donkey and they're all singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, then Jesus goes up to the temple to worship, and that's where we cut in verse 20. And it reads that, Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They couldn't get into the temple. It was Jews only. And so they go to Philip and ask him. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew went and Philip, uh, sorry, and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered him, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So these Greek people, um, in in essence, it means non-believers. It means academics. They don't believe in religion. They don't believe in religious systems. They believe in what they can understand. And they say, we want to see Jesus. We've heard about his stories. We've heard about him raising Lazarus back from the dead. That's piqued our interest. We need to suss this guy out. There's bound to be an explanation. There's bound to be something that kind of explains it all away. We want to see Jesus. Now, I love that. I love this question that they're really trying to get to the heart of because isn't that where a lot of people are today? Yeah, I've heard about Jesus. To be honest, I don't believe it. I mean, I'm sure he existed. I'm sure he was real. But there's bound to be some logical, natural way of explaining all these things away. Because here are people who have... There's people who see Jesus as a historical character, you know. And they'll say, yes, he existed. He said some good stuff. But that's really it. Abraham Lincoln was a good guy and said some nice stuff. Gandhi was a nice guy, said some good stuff. Mother Teresa, nice lady, said some nice things. And really, that's where Jesus is. He's just a historical figure, said some nice things. Let's not get carried away. Maybe that's you. You believe in the historical Jesus. Maybe for others, then, you have the magical Jesus, you know, kind of the genie in a bottle. There's quite a few who come to church and they have this idea of who Jesus is. Technically, you know, they're sort of nominal Christians. You know, they'll call themselves Protestants and all that comes along with that. But really, it's not anything that happens outside of church for them. Yes, okay, Jesus is the kind of guy you can 
go to if you need a miracle. If you're in the hospital bed or there's a car crash, you can pray, you can rub the lamp, get genie Jesus out uh, to fix everything. But really, he's just there to make us feel better about ourselves. Maybe you don't believe in the historical Jesus or the magical Jesus. Maybe you believe in the senile Jesus. What I mean by that is that he's just up in heaven like a nice old granda, and you can sit on his knee. He'll give you something nice like a wee sweetie, a wee hard candy. He's a bit old-fashioned, a bit out of date, but he's kind. And you know what? Jesus is fine if you keep him in that context. He's kind, he's benevolent, but, you know, don't take everything he says too seriously. We've moved past a lot of it, but he's a good old soul. He's got a kind heart. These Greeks who came to Jesus are trying to figure out who is he really. And how did the real Jesus respond? Well, he actually goes on to talk about his death and his resurrection. And this is really who I am. The Jesus that you don't believe in is a Jesus that he didn't believe in either because that's not who he was at all. The, the Pharisees, the Sadducees of the day, the religious people, they didn't believe in Jesus either. They didn't like him. They, they fundamentally rejected who Jesus was. In fact, it's them who's going to get Jesus killed for, for being too far away from what they believed to be right. When Jesus shows up, he's not going to let you puff out your chest and walk around boasting and bragging about how good you are. And what happens is he doesn't allow you to put on any swagger or any airs and graces. Jesus has this habit of putting us all on level ground, and religious people hate level ground. Religious people will love to climb a ladder and say, well, you know, I did this and they didn't, so I'm just that wee bit better, and I'm a wee bit higher, and I can look down on everyone else people who love self-righteousness, who love climbing these ladders, fundamentally don't really tend to like Jesus. Not the real one. What's happening in these texts that we read, that there's this movement for marginalized, disgruntled outsiders towards Jesus, but the religious uh, elite, the snobs, the, those people who think they've got it sorted, that they're going to heaven, that they're good, they're great, and everyone should copy them, they're moving away from Jesus simultaneously. And so there's this movement towards and a movement away from Jesus. And the significance of that can't be understated because I am sure that there are people in this room tonight and there are those who are moving towards Jesus and there are some who are maybe moving away. What Jesus does in these verses fundamentally says, like, number one, you can't call me a teacher. You can't call me a teacher. He just takes that off the table, all right, because he, he kind of just does that. Um, if you pay attention, okay, he's not a prophet. A prophet says, I have a message from the Lord. You know, that's kind of what they do. They kind of take a message that God gives them and then says, okay, this is what God has told me. You know, all the thus saith the Lord kind of stuff. But then he turns around and, and Jesus doesn't teach like that. Okay, Jesus shows up and says, okay, you've heard it said from Moses, you've heard it said from David, you've heard it said from Abraham, but I say, not God, I say. He's putting himself in the position of God. He's saying, I am God. I'm not a God, I'm the God. I'm co-eternal with the Father. I've always been and always will be. I am not created. And that's when most people go, okay, Jeff, nope. 
not happening. I don't believe it. I'm not buying what you're selling. But here's then something that you have to reconcile. If you're going to say that, if you're going to say, no, I'm not buying that, then there's a problem that remains that you need to try and solve. And, and that problem is that our society, Western society, is at a stage now where we will categorically say that there's no such thing as sin anymore. There's just lots of different paths of, of life being made up of different choices, and you just have to find your own path, your own combination of choices. But you're not allowed to say that one person's path is wrong. There's no such thing as right and wrong now. It's about what suits each other best. Yet at the same time, there's so many people walking around with this deep-rooted sense of guilt. How do we reconcile that? How do we figure out if there's no such thing as sin, why are we feeling so guilty? Why are we wrestling with this? Why is there this sense that all of us kind of have this thought that if we are thoroughly examined under the microscope, we're going to fall short of some standard? But what standard is that? If there's no such thing as sin, if there's no such thing as, by, as iniquity or rebellion against God, how do we explain the sense that we're not measuring up? Who's measuring? Who's got this standard? Where's it coming from? What do we do whenever we can do whatever we want and still have guilt in our hearts? We're a confused society. We're confused people. We want to say there's no such thing as sin. We can do what's right, yet we're plagued by guilt and not measuring up to a standard. But for the life of us, we can't figure out what that standard's supposed to be. The Bible's very clear that the little mess in our heart is sin. The book of Romans, chapter 1, 18 to 22, identifies the problem really concisely whenever it says, look, the problem is you want the maker's stuff. You don't want the maker. You want the stuff that God gives, but you don't want God. That's the problem. And the Bible says that these things that we enjoy are given us to God, that we can delight in Him as a good father, as a giver of good things. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, what about a really nice, well-cooked steak? Okay, and by well-cooked, I mean medium-rare. If you cook it more than that, you're butchering it, go eat pork chops, okay? Leave the steak to the civilized people, okay? Medium-rare, a nice drink, a table of your close friends and family, lots of laughter. To me, perfect. Love that. It's a beautiful night in or out, depending on how you, how, where you go for your steaks. But that joy in that moment only lasts that night. Once the dinner is at, once the friends go home, it goes with them. That sense of joy goes with them. But if I have that meal understanding that that bit of steak is given to me by a good God, that the friends that I'm laughing with are given to me by a good and generous God, that, that, that the family and the jokes and the stories and the love is all coming from a father in heaven who is giving that to me, then even after the meal and after I go home and if I'm by myself and I'm having a bad day, I am still reminded that God is still good and God is still giving me things. And so often we, we want to take away that and say, look, just give me the stuff. I don't want God but only real joy and real peace and troubled times can come when we bring God into it. And that's what Jesus is telling the people in John 12. 
you want to see the real me? Then you've got to see me in terms of what I'm giving you. I'm dying and rising again to give you something. I'm not taking your joy. I'm not taking your ability to think rationally. I'm not taking your identity. I'm giving you these things. I'm giving you them. But I can only do that through the cross. Because this is how we deal with the guilt that comes from falling short of God's standard. We call tonight a reason to sing. And if you need a reason to sing, there it is right there. But the thing that grates most non-Christian people, right, whether you're full-on atheist or whether you come to church but just don't believe, okay? You're trying to do it yourself, okay? The Jews and the Greeks, people who don't believe in religion, people who want to do it themselves with religion. The Jews and the Greeks of today, you don't want to give up the authority of running your own life. You want God's peace, but you don't want him. But you can only have God's peace by knowing him. Society has told you and we've bought the lie that you can be whatever you want to be. You can take charge of your life, make your own decisions. And if you can do all those things, then you can find your own joy. But the truth is that God wants to give it to you. He wants to give it to you by giving you himself. It's found in Christ. Look at verse 26 up on the screen. It says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. When you start talking about serving and following what people want to do, is okay, God, okay, preacher, give me a list of things that I have to do. Give me a list of things that I can just tick off the box and I can do, and then I can be in heaven, and then I can be happy, and it's all easy, and it's all sorted. Just give me the list, what I have to do. The problem is that when he's talking about ruling and reigning in your heart, he doesn't want to have a list of behavioral modification, but rather what he wants you to do is acknowledge that you make a bad king or a bad queen in your life. You wanting to work through a list is still you trying to be the king or queen of your life. It's still you trying to do it by yourself. Just give me a list and I'll go do it. No, that's not the idea. It's about letting Christ in so that he can do it because he's already done it on the cross. Becoming a Christian is not about do's and don'ts. It's about taking that pathetic little cheap tinfoil crown off your head and bowing before Jesus and saying, forgive me for trying to do it by myself. Forgive me for, 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 I'm crummy at doing this. I've made a mess. You sit on the throne. You lead me and I will follow. That's what it is. And at that moment, you enter in this awkward dance of sanctification where there's times where we're nailing it and we're following him and people can see Christ in us. And there's other days whenever it's maybe that wee bit harder. You talk to a Christian, they'll tell you all about that dance where it's two steps forward and a step back, and then two steps forward and maybe three or four back, and then you're forward and back and forward and back, and it's got this awkward dance of sanctification. And perhaps what will happen is we struggle with that. As Christians, we struggle with that. It's not ideal, but that's how it is. When Jesus is talking about serving and following, he says, look, you don't get to be king, not because I'm power hungry, not because I want to dominate and boss you around, but because you're bad at being the king or queen. But I'm a great king on your life. I love you, and you're bad at this. I'm eternal, you're not. I'm all-knowing, you're not. I'm in tomorrow. You don't have a clue what's happening on TV and your favorite program right now. But I know everything that's happening. 
deep down inside, we're bad at being the king and queen of our life. And so if you're like that, you're saying, okay, I hear you, Jeff, but my Christian friends are hypocritical. <laughs> well, I just explained it. You're catching them just on that back step and that awkward dance that we do. You're catching us out. But if anything, our hypocrisy should make you feel better. Because if there wasn't that backward step, would you be comfortable coming into church tonight at all? If everyone around you was perfect and nailing it 10 out of 10 every single day, every single moment, did you feel like you could come to church? I, I couldn't. <laughs> I'd be the odd one out. Why we celebrate so passionately the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cross and resurrection is the objective evidence that God never tires of us doing this dance. Because it's not about us. It's about His grace. And it's about the greatness of His Son. And the invitation tonight as we finish is a simple one. There is a king who is a better ruler than you. So get out of his chair. I'm not saying it's not scary. I'm not saying it's not confusing. I'm not saying you're even quite sure what to do after that. I'm saying that full life, eternity, uh, getting away from God's wrath and enjoying His blessing is all wrapped up in you getting out of the chair that is not yours to sit on. And look, I know that some of you haven't got tired yet of trying to do it yourself. But if at some point during tonight you've realized, man, I, I've been trying to do this myself and it's got me nowhere. Been trying to rule my own life and, I, and I'm not getting anywhere and I'm realizing that I, the problem is that I am not cut out for this job. I don't want to sit on this chair anymore in my life. I want to get out of the chair. I want Jesus to sit on the throne. And as you talked, Pastor, if you talked, Jeff, listen, We've sang these songs. We've done these things. I feel compelled to get out of this chair and ask Christ. And can I encourage you as we sing these next couple of songs? I'm, I'm going to pray now. We're going to sing. And then I'll come up and I'll just close it in prayer again. But uh, as we do that, then I invite you to just to say something along these lines. Now, these words are not magical. You don't have to get them verbatim. It's just get this sentiment. Father in heaven, I am tired of trying to do this myself. I'm tired of sitting on this little throne in my heart. I want I, Jesus, I want you to take the lead. I want you to lead, and I want to follow. I'm sorry for trying to do it myself. But Lord, come. Come into my life. I give it to you now. And you'll find that he'll come in willingly, gladly, immediately. Let's just pray right now. Heavenly Father, if there's someone in church tonight and they're feeling the weight of this, whether it's from some of the, the, the words of, of the songs that we've sang or the videos that we've watched or even just now, Lord, I pray that we would see the real Jesus. Lord, that we would see you for who you really are, not just this historical figure or, or genie that will rescue us or, or some old grandfather figure in the sky, but Lord, that you would come and show us that who you really are. And Lord, that we'd recognize you for who you really are. Lord, that we'd bring you into our lives and Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, that the real Jesus would be seen in us. Would be seen in this place tonight.
Lord, change lives. Rescue lives. Turn lives around, we pray. For this is what you can do with a surrendered life. And so, Lord, we pray this in your name.